What? Stop letting the cat out. Stop letting then, that cat. I thought you were going with the, I thought you were going with the the name of love. Stop on the name of love. Don't you break my heart. Oh, my heart. Hello and welcome back to Fine Wine and Evil Spirits, a podcast where we bicker about the... And get drunk! (laughs) And bicker about the, what, paranormal? Paranormal, yeah. Okay. So yeah, we're pretty uh, toasty right now. Yeah. Sipping on... No. (laughs) No, I mean, I just thought it'd be cool. So what have we been drinking though? We have been drinking... Um, the Mermaid Spirits oh, vodka. yeah. It is so good. I just keep... It is really good. Sipping on it. So tonight we are going to be um, in New York. New fig- York! Figuratively. Um, with the Fox <gasps> Sisters. Me. Can you not burp? Fox Sisters. Don't burp. Don't burp. Sorry. Don't Excuse me. That. I think I had a little too much to eat. Um, the Fox sisters considered of three sisters from New York who paved the way to three <laughs> <laughs> spiritualism. Spiritualism. <clears throat> so the two younger sisters, Margaret and Kate, used wrappings. Wrappings. To, shh, oh. to convince Leah, the older sister, and others that they were communicating through the dead. Spiritual rappling, rap, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, got a little bit of lip. Got a hole in my lip. <laughs> <clears throat> Spiritual rappings are a yeah. form of communication between living persons and the spirits of the deceased persons by tapping out messages on a table, board, or the like. The like. Eventually, Leah took control and managed her sister's her younger sister's careers. They all became mediums and shared access for a while in the future. In 1848, when Kate was 10 and Margaret was 14, they lived in a house in Hydesville, New York, with their parents of, um, I guess, Arcadia. Wait, their parents? And Leah. Oh, yeah, I lost <laughs> track, too, there. Yeah. The... Uh, so this town does not exist, but was a part of Arcadia Township. The house they lived in was believed to be haunted, and mm. after a while, the family <laughs> right. The family grew concerned, and um, they started hearing unexplained noises. Uh, such as knocking and sounds like furniture was being moved. Yeah, I'm done after that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'm done. So the one site... Yeah. <laughs> You're scared of everything. Oh, Macho Man. And then I hear that, I'm like, yep, nope. You're scared of everything. Um, yep. Every night around bedtime, <clears throat> they said that they heard a series of raps on the wall. Raps on the wall? Like, yeah. No, not like that. Like, like LL Cool J? Oh, oh, yeah, I'm done. Like that. Um, the, Excuse me. Ew, stop. 
I'm sorry. I ate so fast. We discuss this. Yeah, swallowed a bunch of air. The rats. Like Kirby. You know when Kirby eats, he just like, oh. The the rats seem to manifest with a particularly unworldly intelligence. The neighbor is skeptical. Always the neighbor. How do you know about the neighbor? Neighbors are always skeptical. Neighbors are not always skeptical. But anyway, this neighbor came to see for herself, joining the girls in the small chamber they shared with their parents. While Maggie and Kate huddled together in their bed, their mother Margaret began... Wait. Hold on. The mother Margaret went in her bed and said, wait? I'm confused. Why? Too much to drink? Yes. Because you got... Because you... Ew. Ew. Sarah. You can't be doing that on the podcast. That was you. You skipped a line. That was you, first of all. Um, it says, every night around bedtime, they said they heard a series of... Knocking. Knocking on the walls. Well, first of all, let me tell you something. And then Mar- if I hear knocking on the walls, I'm out. Okay, <laughs> if you don't wake up, or you know, I'm a, I have to, get, you know, get like one of them little, I don't know, what something will you hoist get, you what will out of the get? bed that gets because we gotta leave. We gotta, we gotta what leave will you immediately. Get what will you get? Anything with wheels? Because I, I'm not gonna be able to pick everybody up. A wheelbarrow. Yeah, I have to invest in one. A wagon. A, a wagon. wagon, I could put all four of you in the wagon. <laughs> this like oh, wagon down the steps. <laughs> get everybody in you the car. You just get us all in the steps and you'll wagon us down. Yeah, or actually, you know, a sled would be better. I've seen that in Home Alone. It seems pretty so you're going to take the time to get a, <clears throat> a wagon out. No, I'll have it in the closet or something. You know, just like, oh, sled is emergency situation. <laughs> A ghost situation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ghost situation. Get the sled out. Get all the kids on the sled. You know, I'll go on the sled too to make sure everybody's safe. You know, and then we'll just sled down the steps. You know, if there is steps, unless it's a rancher, we're, we won't well, need right to Right now, that. we have steps. Uh, anyway, well, yeah. So we'll definitely need to sled. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> gotta recover from that. I'm in a moment. Margaret here. began the demonstration. Now count to five, she ordered, and the room shook with the sound of five heavy thuds. Count fifteen, she commanded, and the mysterious presence obeyed. Next, Next. she asked us until the neighbor's age, thirty-five raps followed. If you are an injured spirit, she continued, manifest it by three raps. And it did. What? Yep. This what? what? Keep reading. I don't want to keep reading. The spirit was named Mr. Splitfoot, which is also a nickname for the devil. I read a book today. It was Winterfoot. It was a Halloween book. Yeah. Was it a Halloween book? Yeah. Was it a picture book? Of course, but it was a panda. He was Winterfoot. Okay, I don't think that Weston loved it, actually. I don't think it has anything to do with this. No, it doesn't. Just saying. Shut up. I just seen foot. Ow. (laughs) (laughs) This spirit was named Mr. Splintfoot, which is also a nickname for the devil. 
What? But he wasn't the devil. Uh, it was some burping. Sorry, I can't help it. Build you up pressure to, on my chest. You have to go in the bathroom or something. Oh, all right. Sorry. He was a audience. peddler <laughs> named Charles B. Rosna, who had been murdered five years earlier and then buried in the settler. Cellar. Wow. Cellar. Wow. The neighbors would try to communicate with the deceased through the girls, and they would answer their questions through rapping, learning that the murders were committed through the house. Hmm. A few pieces of bone were dug up and stirred in an investigation. Um... (laughs) It so like it basically <clears throat> made it for like anybody that had lived in the house before. Right. There was a man named Mr. Bell who was the only person who was able to connect with the house and he was accused of murdering the peddler, even though no missing person by the name of Charles B. Rosen was ever found. As the mm. girls got older, Kate moved in with Leah and Margaret moved in with her brother David, and their popularity grew. People needed little convincing that the girls were communicating with the dead. More and more people were willing to support them. And then on November 14th, 1849, they conducted a demonstration of their rapping at the Corinthian Hall in Rochester, New York. This was the very first presentation that was for, that was performed for the the public the paying public paying public so that was the difference because even if you know they were doing it for the public before this time people were paying to actually see it be done mm. um, <clears throat> and this began a long history of spiritualism um, and mediums in the United States and other countries. While the sisters sparked a spiritual evolution, or revolution. Revolution. I know what you meant. <laughs> there were, tipsy. of course, se- uh, s- skeptics. Skeptics, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you be? In 1888, Margaret came clean about her sister's escapades after a reporter had offered her Fifteen hundred dollars. That's a lot of money back then. I know. In eighteen eighty eight. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of coin. So Margaret came clean about her sister's escapades, um, and she admitted that it was a hoax. And although she tried to recant the confession the next year, it was too late because their reputation had already been damaged when she explained in front of two thousand people. That she could produce the wraps at will using her toe joints. How the hell you do that? I don't know. Using her toes. Mm. Uh, the story was published in the New York World in October 21st, 1888. She stated... She... Ex- um, they, they stated, I guess. She explained on her, or expanded, I can't talk tonight. She expanded on her career as a... Medium, after (coughs) leaving the homestead to begin her spiritualist travels with her older sister, 
She said Miss Underhill, my eldest sister, took Katie and me to Rochester. There it was that we discovered a new way to make wraps. My sister Katie was the first to observe that by swishing her fingers she could produce certain noises with her knuckles and joints, and at the same effect could be made with the toes. Finding that we could make wraps with our feet, first with one foot and then the both, we, pra we practiced until we could do this easily when the room was dark. Like most perplexing things when made clear, it is astonishing how easily it is done. The wrapping are simply the result of a perfect control of the muscles of the leg below the knee which govern the tendons of the foot and allow action of the toe and ankle bones that is not commonly known. Such perfect control is only possible when the child is taken at an early age and carefully and continually taught to practice the muscles which grew stiffer in later years. This, then, is the simple explanation of the whole method of the knocks and the raps. She also wrote, A great many people, they hear when the rapping sounds, imagine at once that the spirits are touching them. It is very common, a delusion. Some very wealthy people came to see me some years ago, and I lived in 42nd Street, and I did some rappings for them. I made the spirits rap on the chair, and one of the ladies cried out, I fear the spirit tapping me on the shoulder. Of course, this was pure imagination. Hmm. That's interesting. So, I mean, just from all that tapping, like, with your joints, like, you would actually feel like somebody taps you on the shoulder, though? I guess yeah, so. so. Like, you just state imagine of mind, it. It's just, like, kind of like, oh, yeah, I do... Like, like it's all in your head, kind of. Yeah, like as soon as you start hearing it, you start feeling it. That's crazy. So our next story is Cropsy in New York. Cropsy? Um, yeah. The house looks so creepy. That's not a house, it's a school. It's a school? Yeah. Ooh, never going again. <laughs> not that I did. <laughs> as children, we all hear stories no, of I the didn't. boogeyman. Under the bed, in the closet, anything to get us kids scared of what our parents are saying. But in the 1980s, a very real boogeyman invaded Staten Island, and his name was Cropsy. Whoa. <laughs> Kevin just saw the picture of Cropsy. Um, so Andre Rand was a janitor in the Willowbrook State School, which housed children with intellectual disabilities that had fallen into foster care or became abandoned by their own parents. But the school was anything but a sanctuary. 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 I said that weird. Yeah. Um, it may even be described as hell on earth. Maybe. Sounds like it. It was closed in 1987 because of the terrible conditions including rampant sexual assault and corporal punishment and severe overcrowding that led to unsanitary conditions. 
It was also home to what has been called one of the most unethical medical experiments on children in the United States. In the name of hepatitis research, medical staff intentionally injected healthy children with the virus, many of whom became severely ill as a result. That's ridiculous. That's messed up. So, looking at another, looking at another site, it said, during its first decade, outbreaks in hepatitis among the patients was fairly common and led rise to a series of controversial experiments conducted by two professors, Dr. Saul Krugman and Dr. Robert McCollum from Yale. How do they even get degrees like that in schools and then? I don't know. But one of Krugman's studies involved feeding live hepatitis virus to 60 healthy children. It disgusts me. Dr. Paul Off, I don't know how to say his last name, Offit, a pediatrician specializing in infectious diseases wrote detailing and heinous heinous testing. Krugman watched as their skin and eyes turned yellow and their livers got bigger. He watched them vomit and refused to eat. All of the children fed hepatitis virus became ill, some severely. Krugman reasoned that it was justifiable and inoculate retarded children at Winnowbrook with hepatitis virus because most of them would get hepatitis anyway. But by purpose... Only through what they're doing. Yeah. But by purposefully giving the children hepatitis, Krugman increased the chance to 100%. So before, it wasn't 100%. Reportedly, patients were force-fed the hepatitis virus in milkshakes and other involuntary ingested each other's disease laid in stool. That's so messed up. That pisses me off, actually. It's like, really bad. So, the public didn't have any idea that this was going on inside of the school until 1972 when Geraldo Rivera, didn't you love him? Who's that? He was like a reporter. Geraldo. I don't know. Right now, as deep as I am and just drinking stuff, I don't... I remember your girl saying something about Geraldo. Okay. Um, So he he did an expose that published and revealed the dirty secrets within Willowbrook. Still, it took 15 years after that expose... Uh, for the school to be closed because of the negative publicity. In addition, there was a pass. It took an additional 15, 15 years? 15 years. From 1972? Yeah. Took that long of like, hey, red flag, there's a problem here. Yeah. What? So there was Probably a pass. I kept appealing it or something. Or- I don't know. But there was a passage that was added into the federal um, civil rights legislation aimed at protecting the mentally disabled and others who have been institutionalized. <clears throat> what does that have to do with Andre Rand? Andre Rand's a psycho, right? So in 1987, the body of Jennifer Schweiger, 
a 12-year-old girl with Down syndrome, was found in a shallow grave. She had been missing for 35 days, and Rand had been arrested for kidnapping. Mm. But this was not the first time that he had run-ins with the law regarding children. In 1969, he went to jail for 16 months for the attempted assault, sexual assault, Mm. of a nine-year-old. In 1983, he went to jail for kidnapping an entire bus of children and bringing them to an airport. And then he's linked with a disappearance. How does he keep getting out of jail? That's what I want to know. And then he's linked with the disappearance of Alicia Perari. How do you say that? Perera. Perera. She was five. In 1972. This is ridiculous. Holly Ann Hughes, she was seven in 1981. Tyhees Jackson in 1985. And Hans Garofaro. Yeah. And he was a 22-year-old mentally disabled man in 1984. Seems like he's taking advantage of very young people. or. Well, you think of the school and they took care of... People with intellectual disabilities. Yeah, they couldn't really stick up for themselves. So, while the jury could not find enough evidence that he murdered Jennifer, um, they did find him guilty of kidnapping and received a sentence of 25 consecutive years um, life in prison. uh, Because he was suspected of child killing. Killing charges. charges. <clears throat> Why does it take that long, though? I don't you know? know. That's that's a huge. Like if it was like me or you, would two seconds, boom, it's done. But since he's like some kind of like doctor or something, it takes. It. No, he was a janitor in the school. Maybe it was just the time. I don't know. Like, I feel like with stuff like this, it's kind of like pushed off, pushed off, pushed off, unless there's huge, significant. Evidence that somebody's been involved in a case. There's a lot of evidence there, though. If you look at it, all them people you there's just no, mentioned. There's no physical evidence, though. That's the problem. Right. Yeah. The, that's, it's the physical evidence that becomes a problem. Um, so the Willowbrook State School is said to be haunted by the children who died there. There is a sense of unease that if someone is always watching you. Even, like, with that guy locked up, Rand, I would still think he was watching. Like, I would just feel, like, yeah. his presence. You know? Yeah, it's terrible. Um, so our... Wow, that I feel like that was, like, really heavy. Yeah, it was. I'm genuinely upset about that. And I watched the documentary, and right. I feel like researching it further is kind of, like, heavier. Yeah, I don't think I watched the documentary. I gotta watch that, but um. Yeah, I think I watched it when you were like when you yeah. were at work. All right. Um. So our last story is the Amityville Horror, which I'm mm. sore, sore, sore. Yeah, I'm sore from watching, and I'm sure that other people know about it. I think a lot of people know about. It. Like, probably ninety percent of the people. Are. Well, I mean, like everybody knows the movie. Right. That's obvious. Um, they remember the 
What was that one guy? Uh, um, what? That played the... Uh, God, I forget his name. Ronald... Ryan the guy Reynolds? with the abs, you know, he's all. Like, oh, he gave okay. him the water scene, you know, like you know, his abs are like. We just dropped the phone. <laughs> um, so Brian, <clears throat> we did watch the uh, 2005 <clears throat> Amityville now horror today. Say my throat. <laughs> and we did notice that Ryan Reynolds has lots of abs. Dude, dude is stacked. He is so built. stacked. He's he is precious. I just I like love the him. ring, like Listen. the ring, precious. No, precious. Okay, that's the Hobbit. That's the Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. That's what I said. Yeah, but oh, no, actually, no, I didn't. I said the ring. I meant the Lord of the Rings. Actually, I feel like you just don't appreciate the Lord of the Rings the way I do. I watched that movie while I had like my wisdom teeth taken out, so yeah. I watched it like multiple times. It's like a three hour movie, right? I know, and I couldn't move, so I just watched it. Yeah, the traveling and moving around and but dodging anyway. and dipping and dodging and dipping and yeah. Ryan Reynolds in the Amityville Amityville Horror. Italian. His abs in that movie Dude. they wanted you to like notice it. Yeah. They were like, hey. Yeah, look how hard he trained for this scene. <laughs> <laughs> look at Ryan, Ryan Reynolds' abs right now. Don't worry about the fact that he's a, he looks like right now. a murderous beast. Well, I'll show he's you. He's not. No, the, in the character is. In the movie. Yeah, in the movie. I mean, the, the actor is like, you know, right. But so, the abs is, showing you right now, this is mm-hmm. what the guy looks like in real life. Or... At the time, uh, he looks kind of like like Ronald uh, Reynolds did. Like, yeah. no, he doesn't. With the beard and no, no, no. So anyway, uh, Ronald DeFeo was the oldest of five siblings. He went by Butch because his father was also named Ronald. Uh, but for the most part, he had a normal childhood growing up. His father could be aggressive at times to his family. And, of course, Ronnie got it the worst because he was the oldest. But he was always considered troubled. He was aggressive at times, combative. And the normal, like, his behavior became worse over the years. Especially when he was confident enough to confront his father. By the age of 17, he developed a taste for LSD and heroin. Do you hear mm. that person honking outside? Yeah, I know. So annoying. Um, and he was... Kicked, Ronnie was kicked out of school for fighting. His parents tried to make him happy and keep him away from the drugs by offering him lavish gifts, including a 1400 or $14,000 speedboat, among other oh, things. Wow. Well, how can you afford a $14,000 speedboat? Well, his dad owned a um, car dealership. Okay, yeah. So it's nothing, really. But unfortunately, he just got worse. Ronald Sr. gave him a job as car dealership. Um, he figured if he could get him working, maybe he could keep him away from his bad habits. But maybe. he was wrong. Right. Uh, Ronnie's drug and alcohol abuse got worse. Not only that, but he had a particular interest in guns. This wouldn't be an issue, maybe, if he didn't have aggression problems. 
Um, there was an incident where he threatened a friend with a rifle on a hunting trip. Mm. Later, acting as though he, like, none of that had ever happened. Right. And then another time where he attempted to shoot his father, like, he actually tried to shoot his father with a 12-gauge shotgun during a fight between his parents. But the trigger malfunctioned after he pressed it and his father was able to walk away with his life. Ronnie believed that he should have been getting paid more at the car dealership. So in 1974, he devised a plan to rob his father's car dealership by mocking a robbery with his friend. Hmm, I didn't know all this. Yeah, exactly. Um, Everything was going as planned until the police came to the dealership to question him. Um, Instead of remaining calm and answering questions, Ronnie flipped out and was taken to the station to look at mugshots. His father started to ask him questions, but Ronnie was angry that his father would doubt him and threatened his life. All right. And then... November 13th, so 1974. maybe he faked possession? Just let me get to it. <clears throat> November 13th, 1974. Ronnie went into the room of each of his family members and shot them while they were asleep. His parents, his brothers, two sisters, all shot dead with a thirty-five caliber Marlin rifle. It took a total of 15 minutes to kill his entire family. Mm. And after that, he showered. He got dressed for work. And then he collected his bloody clothes and the murder weapon in his pillowcase. Tossing it down a storm drain on his way to work. When it was 6 a.m. and his father had not shown up for work, he played the concerned citizen... And called the house, but surprise, surprise, he didn't get an answer. He spent the day bopping around with different friends before returning home to his murdered family. At 6 p.m., he called his friend in mock surprise, saying that someone had murdered his family. When the police came, he blamed a mafia hitman, Louis Fellini, stating that the man had a grudge against his father about something that happened at the car dealership. But police found the empty box of his gun, and they pieced together the events of the day. Thus, his story become, became less and less believable when he was questioned because he kept changing his story. Eventually, he broke down and said, Once I started, I couldn't stop. It went so fast. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. So the trials began in 1975. The district attorney, attorney, William Weber, tried to get an insanity plea for him, stating that he heard voices telling him to kill his family. Right, he was trying to probably get out of it. Right, of course. <clears throat> A psychiatrist on the defense supported the claim, saying that he suffered from disassociative disorder. But the psychiatrist on the prosecution was able to prove that Ronnie suffered from antisocial personality disorder, 
which made him aware of the actions that he was committing, but motivated by a self-centered attitude. The hell does that mean? So he knew what he was doing, but he was basically doing it for himself. If that makes sense. So it doesn't give him the death penalty then. It pretty much says, okay, you're with the crazy people. and you know. Well, the jurors agreed with the assessment, and on November 21st, 1975, they found DeFeo guilty on six counts of second-degree murder. Second-degree murder's whole family. And he was sentenced to six consecutive life sentences and sent to Greenhaven Correctional Facility in Beekman, New York. His appeals to the parole board have been turned down. Thank God. Right. Um, so there are also some frightening tales claimed by the Lutz family, the people that moved in afterwards. Right. As well as some interesting facts about the infamous house whose horror has yet to die. And again, we watched it today. So yeah. you were like, ah! Um, the supernatural. So the stepfather, George, which played played by Ryan Reynolds and the one that we watched, had a history of dabbling in the occult. Hmm. Um, Lutz was said to wake up at 3.15 every morning. Which was around the time that Ron DeFeo carried out his murders. The Lutz family claimed to smell strange odors, see green slime oozing out of the walls and keyholes, and experience cold spots in certain areas of the house. When a priest came to bless the house, he allegedly heard a voice scream, Get out! He told the Lutzes to never sleep in a particular room in the house. And other paranormal activity includes a nearby garage door opening and closing, an invisible spirit knocking a knife down in the kitchen, a pig-like creature with red eyes staring down at George Lutz and his son Daniel from a window. George, yep, I'm done. <laughs> George waking up to wife Kathy levitating on her bed. Sons Daniel and Christopher also levitating on their beds. So the fallout, um, after telling the story, George and Kathy took a lie detector test to prove that they're, they're innocent, and they passed. The couple were bogged down in legal and financial issues, which prompted skeptics to believe that they had motive to create a fantastical story to sell it to the public. The Lutz's former lawyer, William Weber, who fell out with them over money issues, came out in 1979 claiming that the three of them came up with the horror story over many bottles of wine. Son Daniel... It's pretty much, are they, is he just lawyer calling him a liar? Basically. Son Daniel Lutz, who lives a quiet life in Queens, New York, in a stonemason, claims that the house ruined his life and that he continues to have nightmares to this day. 
murderer Ron DeFeo, who's still alive, serving a 25-year life sentence at a New York correctional facility, claimed that he heard voices urging him to kill his family. He has since charged the story multiple... Oh, changed the story, not charged. Yeah, I know what you meant. Changed the story Changed the story times. multiple times. So, the Amityville Horror House today... I shouldn't say horror because it's not. But, um... It sold in February 2017 to an undisclosed owner for $605,000, which was $2,000 less than the asking price. It has been previously owned by four other families since the murderers, one of which had the address changed to 108 Ocean Avenue. Mm. Well, I know what house not to buy. <laughs> that is so interesting. Yeah. Like, why did they have the address changed? Probably because the other address was... Do you had... think people were, like, stalking, like, the house? I just think they couldn't sell it. And they were like, all right, let's just change the address because this address is kind of tarnished. I kind of want to reach out to um, Daniel Watts. I know he probably doesn't want anything to do with anything. You never know that. Maybe we won't like to talk about it. But it's interesting. Yeah. Hear his side. And get the real story. Real stories are always interesting. Yeah, and just hear what the actual person wanted to say and get done. And the whole thing itself is just totally... Because, you know, no one was actually there when it was happening. He was actually there, actually going through it, living through it. And, like, if the house was, a, like, you know, as, as big as, like, uh, the one in the movie, like, man, like, that's, like, scary. Like, all that open space and stuff, like... And people you love and trust is like kind of like. Yeah, there's no way that. I'm sorry, but if you were to do that. Maybe sorry. the guy. Yeah, I don't know. Like, but. That's the bottom of the bottle, right? So. As always, if you like our podcast, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Fine Wine and Evil Spirits, and also on Twitter at FWES Podcast. Like and share our posts, and don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know in detail what you think about the show and what your favorite parts are. Remember, five stars are. We'll haunt you. Hey, Siri. What did the fox say?